welcome to the Book of Mormon Evidence podcast with host Rod Meldrum. This week's Come Follow Me supplemental study is Lesson 35, Helaman 13 through 16, Glad Tidings of Great Joy. This week, Rod is solo as he discusses Samuel the Lamanite and compares types and shadows for our day. He illustrates something poignant that President Gordon B. Hinckley said about the Book of Mormon being more current than the daily news. In some areas of expertise Rod has studied, he wants to share how daily headlines are running parallel lessons from the Book of Mormon that are not only prophetic, but happening in real time with the Church's program of worldwide study of the Book of Mormon. Hi, everybody. I'm Rod Meldrum, and I'm excited about this week's uh, Come Follow Me lesson. This week, we're going to be talking about uh, Helaman chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. And this is the, the uh, I love these chapters. It has to do with uh, in the Helaman. We're talking about uh, Samuel the Lamanite. And uh, so, again, we just want to reiterate that we're expecting that you've already have, uh, have gone over the lesson material itself, and we'll be uh, going through, uh, you've already done that. Uh, we're going to be going into some more depth on this in this particular area. Um, one of the interesting things I wanted to just point out here, this is in the, in the beginning of the manual, it has a, a, a painting that we're all pretty familiar with. It's from Arnold Freeberg, and he actually did this painting at the behest of the, of the primary general president a number, number of years ago. She said, we didn't have any art to, to show the kids, and so she commissioned him to actually do, I think it was 12 or 13 paintings. And... Um, <clears throat> And he did these amazing paintings, and really was some of the first artwork ever on the Book of Mormon. And uh, unfortunately, um, he was told that the Book of Mormon happened in Central America, so make it look like uh, the Mayan ruins and so forth. So here we have uh, the iconic image of uh, Samuel the Lamanite uh, standing up on top of the, uh, the this massive uh, stone, you know, uh, uh, rock wall, um, and uh, outstretched, and got the you know the Nephites down below, and the, and and uh, trying to uh, to hit him with their stones and their arrows and things. Um, also on the next page here, it has another picture here of uh, this again a Samuel the Lamanite. This is from um, Brianna Shawcroft, and uh, basically has a Samuel the Lamanite. He's up on top of here, and down below you have Chichen Itza, uh, basically looking temple here, and, and again it's a Mayan uh, Mesoamerican context. I want to see if we can maybe correct that with some actual um, some images that would actually be more accurate to the actual Book of Mormon um, happening in the North in North America. So that I wanted to show this this first one is actually a uh, an illustration that comes from a place called Cahokia. This is just outside of St. Louis. Cahokia was actually built after the Book of Mormon timeframes, but the Nephites or the the Hopewell Mound Builder people were there actually previous to these people and actually initially. Uh, were living in this area. Uh, it was the later, um, what they call the Mississippian culture that moved in and actually did this. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because if you take a look at this, this is in the museum there at Cahokia. And this is a, uh, a mural on the wall in the museum that shows or depicts what this ancient civilization may have looked like back at that time. And so you can actually see you have a big plaza here. You've got these big earthen mounds. Uh, they didn't really have rock or stone to work with. Um, that's an important aspect of it because in the Book of Mormon, there's not a single building that is mentioned in the Book of Mormon that was made out of stone. In fact, uh, the, the the most kind of blatantly rich building that was talked about in the Book of Mormon was King Noah's palace, and it said it was all made out of fine wood. And uh, and in fact, uh, there, there is no uh, in fact even it says in, in Helaman that the temples were made out of wood. So. Um, <clears throat> 
So we're not looking, there's nowhere again, there's no reason why we should expect to be looking at buildings made out of stone. But uh, of course, in Central America, their buildings were made out of stone, um, which is just exactly opposite of what the Book of Mormon describes their buildings as being made out of, because they were made out of uh, timber. But this is uh, this shows a wall kind of going around the outer edge or outer perimeter of this uh, of this um, civilization. You see the uh, the wooden uh, structures, which are the homes there on the in, on the interior of the wall, and some on the outside of the wall as well. Um, but this is a depiction of what it may have looked like. This is about uh, between. 900 to about uh, about uh, 900 AD to about 1100 AD is what they think this would have looked like about them. This is a little closer up version of that, so you can actually see um, the, uh, the the inner plaza area. This gigantic structure that's called uh, today it's called Monk's Mound. I'm going to show you some actual photographs of that here in just a second. And then you can see that there were several of these mounds here. Uh, this was actually the Mississippian culture, which is what we what we understand to be the the Mayan civilization collapsed about uh, 900 or so um, AD. Uh, that they called the Great Collapse in Central America. Uh, they moved from there. That's when they abandoned all their cities down there. Uh, we believe that they came north. Um, we we don't just believe that. There's actually a, a lot of solid evidence that they came north because of the artifacts and the way that the civilizations changed from the Hopewell Mound Builder culture to the Mississippian culture. And all of a sudden, they, they built these gigantic um, uh, edifices uh, made out of earth or dirt um, because that's what they had to work with. Then if you take a look a little bit closer here, you can see that they had the Palisades uh, they know that they had the palisades there because of what they call post molds. When they do archaeological work, they find that they have, have where a post was in the ground. It actually, um, as that post deteriorates and turns into soil over the course of centuries, um, it leaves a, a little bit of a different chemical structure, chemical uh, signature, I should say, in the soil. That's called a post mold. You can actually tell about how big the posts were and how, how deep in the ground that they went and so forth, based on these post molds. And so you can actually see they, they knew that they are these, uh, these palisades of timbers that went around the edges of the, uh, the, these uh, structures, also went around the edges of their, of their um, cities here. I um, want to point out that this has a, you see it has a picket, of, of like a picket fence kind of thing with these poles. They think that they probably would have been sharpened at the top so that it would... Um, discourage people from trying to climb up over the top of it, but also was punctuated by these towers. So you can see that here there's, there's about three or four of these towers that are being shown in the image. And those towers were basically uh, put there, uh, they, to, they think, to, number one, it would also it would strengthen the wall. So if you have things jutting out from the wall, it actually strengthens it and keeps it more upright. But also they would have a place up there where people, men, could get up there and uh, a stand, and they could they could either throw things down or use uh, bows and arrows or whatever to uh, to keep people off the wall, and basically to uh, have some protection to keep people from coming up to the wall and burning it because that would be the most likely way to destroy a city like this is be to burn it. So in order to keep people from running up and building a fire or, or putting fire at the base of the walls, they would be able to use their their uh, bows and arrows and their sling, slings and so forth and their spears. And uh, and keep people away from the walls. Um, so this is what the this is what they would have had um, in between those uh, the palisades of timbers, which is exactly what they talk about. Now the last one was Cahokia, which is dates after the Book of Mormon time frame. But this is actually angel mounds. This is, see, it's actually in 
Kentucky, I think there's Ohio, <laughs> Angel Mounds. It's right on the, it's just north of the Ohio River. I remember we, when we went out here, we uh, drove out there. This is actually where they found these actually structures. They also know that these had uh, cement on the outside of them. This is the reason why this is archaeologically correct at Angel Mounds here. And uh, we have, uh, this again shows um, the, the wall itself and the towers sticking out from the walls. Um, and so this would have been more what Samuel the Lamanite would have been uh, speaking from, basically, as he, as he uh, prophesied to the Nephites. We're going to get into that in just a second. This is a different view of that wall as it was actually uh, placed there. And, uh, and here is some, uh, some fantastic uh, drone, footage, drone footage as well that we have of this, uh, of this wall. This is actually part of Cahokia again. They actually have taken where, where the original posts were found in the ground, uh, the, the post molds. They actually placed other posts or new posts in them, and so they actually reconstructed this wall. If you'll notice on the left-hand side of this, you'll see a tower, and then there's another tower on the right-hand side. The left-hand tower has actually been covered with cement. And again, the reason why they do that is because of the fact that when they were doing the archaeological work on this, they found a layer of basically like a stucco kind of material that was on the inside and outside of these walls and, and went along it. Um, so they know that there's actually, they had kind of a stucco-like cement on the inside and outside of these walls, probably done to, to discourage a fire, basically to keep these from being burned down, be a lot more difficult to burn them with the, with the cement coating on the outside of it. And again, that's uh, that's that's talked about. You know, the uh, the the walls basically made out of pickets of of, um, of timbers was talked about, and also cement is talked about that they had buildings out of of cement. So we think that that's probably the uh, the stuccoing, if you will, of the of the wooden structures. This shows again the stucco here, and one of our uh, tour groups here as we uh, as we explored the towers on the inside of the towers. Uh, this is a little bit wider shot, so you can kind of see a different group here that was there. And, um, and, and again, uh, this shows about what they think that it would have been about the height, that based on the, the, uh, the, the diameter of the poles, they think that the height would have been probably about uh, 10 to, to 15 feet high. Obviously, we don't know exactly how tall the, the walls were because of the fact that uh, the, all of that has been gone now for centuries. This is kind of a, a view from the side, so you can see how the, uh, the the tower sticks out from the wall. The left hand side of this would be the inside of the of the structure, and the uh, right hand side of this image would be the outside of the structure. So, as people would try to attack, they could actually come up from the outside, um, and then and then the towers stick out from the walls towards the outside and not towards the inside. Now, uh, this is a, a wonderful painting, and we're going to get into this uh, a little bit more in about two weeks from now when we uh, go into the, the, the uh, visit of Christ to the Nephites. This is a painting from David Lindsley, and uh, he is a, quite a renowned artist. In fact, if you've, if you've seen the, uh, previously the Joseph Smith uh, manual, the Gospel Doctrine manual, the image of Joseph Smith on the front cover of that was actually done by David, and, uh, and he has a couple of other, uh, several other uh, quite famous paintings, uh, one that actually hangs in, or, or I think used to hang in, the, uh, the Arizona Temple, the uh, Mesa Arizona Temple. Uh, but he, a number of years ago, contacted me and said, um, listen, I'm an artist and I'm doing another, a painting. I want to redo a painting that I did a long time ago, because, because I had somebody in my ward that gave me a copy of your DVD, 
And he says, I can't in good conscience continue to paint paintings that show Mesoamerica because I know that that's not where it happened. And so he said, so is there anything I could put in the background that would be significant that would show the uh, the North American setting? And so we, we said, well, you know, they, we know that they did build some mounds and so forth, and but they didn't build grandiose structures, which is interesting because God's people rarely build grandiose structures. You know, when it, talk, when it comes down to it, for example... You know the uh, the the the, the uh, first temple was actually the tabernacle, and that was a tent. <laughs> you know, the, you have uh, it wasn't until the the uh, the temple that Solomon's temple that the temple in Jerusalem even was um, pretty big. But it, but even that is wasn't a, a, a huge temple. I mean, it was it's it's a good size for its for its day, but it's not huge in comparison to, for example, the Colosseum or other um, examples of of uh, the construction of the those time periods basically back anciently um but uh, but instead so we have so he actually did this painting with Christ and the little children and we're going to talk about that more um here in a little bit but uh but it shows uh, this is a more accurate depiction of Christ and in fact this is actually an image from the the church's uh, scriptures legacy film you can go to uh, the lds.org or I guess it's uh, churchofjesuschrist.org now, and look at look up uh, Scripture's Legacy, and you'll find this amazing depiction. It has the, has Christ sitting on top of one of these uh, structures. You can see the pickets of the of the poles sticking up, and then he and, it, and down below you can overlook these the, these big um, earthen mounds, and they're not stone pyramids. There's not a single reference to any kind of a stone pyramid or a stone temple anywhere in the Book of Mormon. It's a fallacy that has been brought upon us because of the ideas of the Book of Mormon happened in Central America. So, uh, so this is actually more accurate depiction. Uh, they did have walls of stone, but they were, they, this is what the walls of stone actually look like. So they date into Book of Mormon time frames. This is in the southern uh, tip of Illinois. This is Stone Fort. There's a different uh, image of Stone Fort there and the stone walls there. This is actually from uh, Old Stone Fort down in Tennessee. This is one of the stone walls that are in that complex. Then uh, this is another image of that. <clears throat> this one is kind of an interesting. This is a stone wall that is close to the Hill Cumorah in New York. In fact, this happens to be in the Sacred Grove, and it's a it's a it's a wall of these uh, these river stones or river rocks that basically were originally uh, stacked up high. Um, they've kind of been shaken down or, or fallen down. Uh, soil has built up around them, so it doesn't look as tall as it what it would have been, you know, a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. But it does give you an idea of the stone walls that still existed. Um, that these are surround the, the around the uh, the Hill Cumorah. And uh, so that's I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit more of a uh, of a better visualization, if you will, more accurate visualization of what the walls would have been like that we're going to be talking about here with Samuel the Lamanite. So to, uh, to, to start off with here then, so what we want to do, let's go, go to, um, to, this, uh, to, to Mormon and just remind everybody here of what we're going to be talking about here. So this is Mormon chapter 8. Go back to verse 25. Now, if you go all the way back to verse 1, it says, Behold, I, Moroni, do finish the record of my father Mormon. And uh, so this is Moroni basically finishing up... Um, Mormon's record, and uh, and so it's not a hundred percent clear which is if it's he or if it's his father that was actually talking about some of this, but I think it's probably Moroni. But he says in verse twenty-five, he says, "And behold, 
And behold, their prayers were also on behalf of him that the Lord should suffer to bring these things forth. And no one need say, They shall not come, for they surely shall, for the Lord hath spoken it. For out of the earth shall they come by the hand of the Lord, and none can stay it. When it says out of the earth here, I'm thinking about uh, natural disasters. In other words, things that God controls, things of the earth, things like earthquakes and tempests and, and those kinds of things. And, and, he, and he says, um, and he's prophesying here about some things that he's, he's talking about. Um, as he's finishing up the record, he's talking about things to come in the future. And uh, let, me, let me go actually to verse 30, 35 here for just a second. So this is verse 35. Behold, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. Prior to this, he said, Behold, look ye unto the revelations of God, for behold, the time cometh at that day when all these things must be fulfilled. Behold, the Lord hath shown unto me great and marvelous things concerning that which must shortly come to come at that day when these things shall come forth among you. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to us. He's talking to those of us who are reading the Book of Mormon. And he said that, that basically, then he says, Behold, I speak unto you as if you're present. And he says, But Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. So he has seen us in vision here. He understands that, that uh, the things that he and his father have been abridging are for us. And so the Lord showed him us so that they, they would make sure to be able to put exactly what we need in the Book of Mormon for our day. And he tells us some of the things that he is seeing here. <clears throat> he says in verse 36, he says, I know that you walk in the pride of your hearts, and there are none save a few only who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts, unto the wearing of very fine apparel, unto envying and strife and malice and persecutions and all manner of iniquities, and your churches, yea, even every one have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. <clears throat> Then in verse 37, he, can, he continues, he says, For behold, ye do love your money and your substance and your fine apparel and adorning of your churches more than ye love the poor and the needy and the sick and the afflicted. And this is when he also says, O ye pollutions, ye hypocrites, ye teachers who sell yourselves for that which will canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Why are ye ashamed to take upon you the name of Christ? Now, I find that really interesting, and we've already had a discussion about this in a couple of other podcasts, but... Uh, who are these teachers who are selling themselves for things that will canker? And according to what uh, Christ showed Moroni, he says that, uh, that, they, that these teachers have polluted the Holy Church of God. He said they called them, oh, ye pollutions, ye hypocrites. Um, not sure who they're talking about there specifically, but these are teachers who are, um, obviously the Holy Church of God is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the restored gospel. And so these are teachers who are within that church um, teaching things that aren't going to last because they're going to canker with time. They're, they're not going to last. There are, there are several things, though, that he talks about that were going to be happening in our day. He says that it shall come, these things will come in a day when it shall be said that miracles are done away. He says that, um, that there will be even as if one should speak from the dead. He said, it'll come in a day when the blood of the saints shall cry unto the Lord because of secret combinations and works of darkness. And I wanted to, uh, so, so what were these secret combinations that were going on? Basically, um, secret combinations in the Book of Mormon talk about people who would make oaths, blood oaths, that they would protect each other. They wouldn't, they wouldn't um, uh, turn each other in to the authorities, so to speak. 
Um, and they, they would do this so that they could get power and gain, and then everybody would share in the spoils of that. Uh, so they talk about these secret combinations and these works of darkness um, are going to be happening in our day uh, before Christ comes. Then he says, yeah, it shall come in a day when the power of God shall be denied. Basically, that religions will be placed um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a position of, of less power, if you will. They will deny that God can, has anything to do with anything. They, they will deny, basically, also, I, I'm just thinking out loud here, um, for example, that there was any um, influence from God in the founding of our nation, for example. They'll take that out of the history books. It says, and the churches will become defiled and be lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Yea, even in a day when leaders of, leaders of churches and teachers shall rise in the, prize of the pride of their hearts unto the envying of them who belong to their churches. So they're talking about churches and, and teachers um, because of pride are, are um, causing all kinds of problems here. And it shall be a day when there will be a herd of fires and tempests and vapors of smoke in foreign lands. Uh, does, that, has that happened? I mean, we've been hearing all kinds of different things from fires. Of course, there's fires pretty much every every fall. Usually, you know, in in North America, there's all kinds of fires that go on. In California, we've had all kinds of fires there. Uh, Australia, um, a, a, a huge amounts of uh, of acreage were burned in Australia because of the, uh, the the ongoing drought there. And here he talks about tempests and vapors of smoke in foreign lands. Vapors of smoke in foreign lands. That that is, I mean, that could be everything from the Iraq War to Afghanistan to, um, you know, just there, there's so many possibilities of that being a this vapors of smoke in foreign lands. I'm reminded of just uh, re- just recently there was a uh, an explosion in in um, in Lebanon, in uh, Beirut, I think it was, and uh, and left a, a, an amazing footage of that um, that uh, that. Vapors of smoke in foreign lands thing. And there shall also be heard of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes in diverse places. And it shall come in a day when there shall be great pollutions upon the face of the earth. And uh, that, is, that is obviously uh, could be both physical pollutions as well as uh, um, spiritual pollutions upon the face of the earth. And there shall be murders and robbing. And I think about uh, what's been happening in our, in, in our nation recently in Chicago and other places where, where um, people are dying, uh, being killed every weekend um, by the tens of, you know, of, of people um, every weekend. People are dying from, from uh, being shot and so forth there. Um, and then the robbing, oh my goodness, <laughs> have, we, have, we, have we seen an uptick in robbing recently with all the rioting and the, uh, the looting going on, uh, emptying out the stores and, and the destroying these, uh, these stores? in all these different cities here in the United States, and lying and deceivings. And I, I, I can't help but think of uh, all the, the, uh, the, the, the false narratives and the fake news that are going on in our nation as we see them but literally just lying and deceiving and, uh, and not even trying to be truthful about things anymore. And whoredoms and all manner of abominations. Uh, when I when I think of that, I think about the uh, the 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 issues that we have, like with uh, child trafficking, and uh, and and you know child sex slavery and so forth. The Operation Underground Railroad and Tim Ballard are, are uh, working to to try to eliminate or eradicate. Hopefully, would be the better term for it. 
And uh, where there, there should be many who will say, do this or do that, and it mattereth not, for the Lord will uphold such at the last day. In this particular case, I don't see a lot of that because most a lot of people don't believe in the Lord and that there, or that there are going to be any upholding in the last days. But it says, uh, but they do say there shall be churches built up and that shall say, come unto me and for your money ye shall be forgiven of your sins. So basically you can buy your way to heaven if you have enough money, apparently. Uh, there will be churches who will be willing to do that for you. And he says, why have ye transfigured the holy word of God? that he might bring damnation upon your souls. And so this is where he's talking about what he was shown um, in, the, in, the, in this, um, these apparently visions that he was receiving from the Lord um, as, he, as he wrote the, the book. So now we're going to go from Mormon and, and flip back here to Helaman chapter 7 for just a second. And uh, these are some of the things that we, that we find out um, um, Again, when we have the understanding that, that, that Mormon and Moroni, uh, the last prophets to, to do the abridgment of the Book of Mormon, we see them actually, um, as they're putting these things together, uh, interestingly enough, they, 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 they must be kind of going somewhat back and forth in, their, in the time frames here. Because, for example, um, here in chapter 7, they talk about the, uh, they, they go into detail about what was happening in their civilization or their society right before Christ comes. And then we know when Christ comes, uh, Christ is with the Nephites, and he says, well, did you write down? He asked uh, Nephi, he says, so did you um, bring me the records that you have? And so Christ was going through over the records, apparently, and he said, well, where is the account of Samuel the Lamanite? And Nephi says, well, I... I haven't done that yet. And Christ basically says, well, get on it. <laughs> that's, 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 you you got to have it in there. And, and of course, here we have it in, in chapter 13, basically is the beginning of the Samuel the Lamanite prophecy. So clearly, Nephi, who was the prophet at the time, um, took Christ's you know, admonition and actually went ahead and, um, and put this in the book. But prior to this, in chapter 7, he said some really interesting things, and uh, this is what was going on. Um, I, I think they're trying to tell us these are some of the signs that happened uh, with our people before the great calamity happened, before Christ came. And uh, so he, so he, you know, and sometimes they have several chapters or several many years of time in just a couple of like paragraphs in the Book of Mormon. This is not one of those times. This is where he's given us down-to-the-minute detail kind of thing, um, what, what, what he has been seeing and what they're experiencing now um, before Christ comes. And so this is uh, chapter 7 and verse 4. Now, this is in the 60 and ninth year, the reign of the judges. And verse 4, he says, And seeing the people in a state of awful wickedness, and Gadiant robbers filling the judgment seats. So these are things that were going on. So think of that in, as, I, as I read some of these. Think how, what, what parallels are there? Why did Mormon and Moroni put these, these things in here? What, is, what does this have to do with our day? And as you consider this, you know, the people in a state of awful wickedness. Uh, if you think about the promised land and the covenant that we've talked about throughout these podcasts over the course of this year so far, um, we know that there's a covenant on the land. Uh, we know that this covenant was with the Nephites. We know there's a covenant now 
on the land that was uh, that was established by George Washington. He says that um, the people were in a state of awful wickedness. He said there's Gadiant robbers filling the judgment seats. They, they talked about having they, they having usurped the power and authority of the land and laying aside the commandments of God and not in the least right before him, doing no justice unto the children of men, condemning the righteous because of their righteousness, and letting the guilty and the wicked go unpunished because of their money. And moreover, to be held in office at the head of government to rule and do according to their own wills that they might get gain and glory of the world, and moreover, that they might the more easily commit adultery and steal and kill and do according to their own wills. So what was going on here? People were getting involved with their government so that they could basically do all these um, awful things. And I don't know if that's uh, if, if you can see that happening in our uh, nation today, but it is just absolutely rampant, I believe. Um, so actually what happened was, let me kind of explain something here. So what happened is I was reading this about uh, two years or so ago <clears throat> for many over many times I've read this, but this is this one really was hitting me hard because I was going, well, I wonder what would happen if you put some of these different phrases like uh, Gadiant robbers filling the judgment seats or usurp, usurp the power and authority of the land. You put these phrases into a Google search, basically, and then look up under mainstream media headlines and see what just would pop up in that. And I was absolutely just dumbfounded and amazed at how this... Um, just every single thing that they're talking about here in the Book of Mormon and Helaman was actually things that are going on in our nation today. And that led to basically doing a, an entire presentation on this. It's called, and, and, and we recorded it at uh, one of the conferences here. And it's called The Book of Mormon Current as the Daily News. And in this, uh, this DVD, um, we go into detail about uh, 9-11, and then uh, the covenant information and so forth. But we go into a lot of detail about these particular passages here, uh, talking about what was going on here. In verse 6, it says, Now this great iniquity had come upon the Nephites in the space of not many years. And I was just, again, just amazed to see how all of these headlines, every single one of these things that was happening in their civilization just prior to Christ's coming, is actually been happening in ours and only in the last several years, probably the last you know, two or three years, is when most of these things have been really been able to show up in, and, and we can see these things clearly have been happening now in our government with the deep state uh, you know, and, and all the corruption that's been going on, how some people get away with everything and, get, and nobody gets prosecuted and other people just, uh, just, just say one thing in, 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 the, uh, in the court and basically and they get, uh, they get thrown in, in jail. There's just amazing things that are going on that, that, that basically parallel everything that's going on here in, in, in the Book of Mormon at this point. So then let, let, let's go ahead and go right over to uh, chapter 13. This is uh, Samuel the Lamanite. Now, a couple of things I wanted to also bring out here. Um, a lot of people, um, a lot of members of the church that I've talked to, um, if you if you said you know is it is it is it uh, possible to have two prophets at the same time? They go oh no no we can only have one prophet at a time, and and I and I have to point out to them that at the time of Lehi there was at least five or six different prophets that were all living at the same time frame. <laughs> okay, that were there, and in 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 this particular case you have 
the prophet of the Nephites, which was Nephi, and he was there. But then God called another prophet from the Lamanites' side, and this guy was named Samuel. But uh, he was a he, he had to be a prophet because it says that he he, he prophesied um, numerous times and so forth. And uh, but here in in chapter thirteen, verse one. It says, now it came to pass in the 86th year, the Nephites still did remain in, in wickedness, and the Lamanites did observe strictly the commandments of God according to the law of Moses, which we've talked a lot about with Amberly Nelson and many others. It came to pass that in this year there was one Samuel, a Lamanite, and he came into Zarahemla and began to preach to the people, and it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people, and they, did, and they threw him out. They cast him out of their city. He was about to leave and go back to his lands, and then the Lord basically intervened, and he had a, he said that he, um, a voice of the Lord came to him that he should go back and prophesy, and when he tried to, uh, they wouldn't even let him in the city, apparently. <laughs> so so he, he uh, said, well, he, he thought, well, what am I supposed to do? So he basically cried out to the Lord. He says, um, you know, how am I going to get this information over? And uh, And so this is when he basically got up on the tower or the wall, and then he basically delivered this message from the Lord. And a couple of things that he says that about that, he says, He hath put into my heart to say unto this people that the sword of justice hangeth over this people, and four hundred years shall not pass away. Say the sword of justice falleth upon this people. Yea, heavy destruction awaiteth this people. And it surely cometh unto this people, and nothing can save this people, save it be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what he was trying to do. Originally, he was trying to tell them to repent. And then the Lord says, well, don't just tell them to repent. Prophesy to them what's going to happen. Did they have a prophet already? Well, yeah, they had Nephi. So why did they need a second prophet? I think because it was by the mouth of two or more witnesses shall every um, thing be revealed. And, uh, and so when you, when you realize that here we have a second prophet coming in to the Nephites, um, and they didn't believe him either. I think part of the reason is because they weren't listening to their prophet that they already had to Nephi. And so God brought in a second prophet to, as a second witness against them in the last days. He continues on in, in verse 9. He says, And 400 years shall not pass away before I will cause that they shall be smitten. Yea, I will visit them with the sword and with famine, with pestilence. Yea, I will visit them with my fierce anger, and there shall be none of them, none of those of the fourth generation who shall live of your enemies to behold your utter destruction. And this shall surely come, except you repent, saith the Lord. And I said, But blessed are they who repent. And woe unto this great city of Zarahemla, for behold, it is because of those who are righteous that it is saved. Ye woe unto this great city, for I perceive, saith the Lord, that there are many, yea, even the more part of this great city, that will harden their hearts against me. So when the capital city becomes so hardened that they harden their hearts against God, against Christ, um, then they are ripe for destruction. And this is exactly what's been happening. Interestingly enough, um, in this, it, it, when it talks about um, this, this, um, this time frame here, in Helaman chapter 12, verse 3, it talks about the Lord doth chasten his people. And if you have the annotated edition of the Book of Mormon, you can check it out on page uh, 370 and 371. This is a little bit of an excerpt from the, the Lincoln Hypothesis by Timothy Ballard from Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, this is from, again, in Helaman chapter 12, verse 3, it says, And thus we see that except the Lord doth chasten his people with many afflictions, yea, 
except he doth visit them with death and with terror and with famine and with all manner of pestilence, they will not remember him. Tim Ballard actually did this this work um, on Abraham Lincoln. And uh, many of you probably have already heard about this, so I'm not going to go, I'll just kind of go through a, a brief synopsis of this. This is an example of the Lord chasing his people on the promised land of America. And uh, this is a, a quote from, from uh, the, the, the Lincoln Hypothesis. It says, in the middle of the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln passed through a pivotal transformation, even a, con- even a conversion. He called it a process of crystallization, during which he constantly prayed. Others have referred to it as his Damascus Road experience. Though at the war's beginning, Lincoln promised not to touch the practice of slavery where it existed, and although at the beginning uh, he did not see the conflict as God's doing, all of that changed during this process of crystallization. His 11-year-old son, Willie, suddenly passed away, and Lincoln was completely shattered. He was a changed man forever. They talked about how they would walk past the Oval Office, and Lincoln would be literally kneeling at the, at the desk praying to God. And then they would walk by like an hour or two later, and he would still be there kneeled and praying at his desk. Um, then he would retire to his bedroom and, uh, and, and spend half the night uh, praying on his knees. Um, during this time frame. Lincoln then said, um, the result, he began receiving revelations from God. He started to see the war in a different light, a spiritual light. Much to the concern of his cabinet, Lincoln began claiming, I talk to God. And he began believing and testifying that God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. God wills this contest and wills that it shall not end yet. At one point in September 1862, he even made what he called a covenant with God. Give us victory in this upcoming battle, he pleaded to heaven, and I will turn this war into a holy endeavor. I will begin with freeing the slaves. I will issue the Emancipation Proclamation. I think it's really important, especially right now in this time of turmoil in our, in our nation with the Black Lives Matter movement and so forth, um, that we understand that, uh, that slavery was something that had been done for centuries before in pretty much in every other nation of the world. In fact, uh, we should look at the United States as the, as, the, as the first and single nation that actually ended slavery. Um, so those who are in the Black Lives Matter movement and are, are wanting kind of reparations and so forth, um, it's kind of really, um, it's, it's, a, it's a non-starter when you consider the fact that it was America that ended slavery. and and of slavery not just here in America, but all over the earth, um, all of a sudden it became unpopular um, to have slaves. There are still nations on this earth today that have slaves. But the bottom line is that the United States was the one nation that didn't do that. In fact, um, I, was ta- I was talking to a Native American individual at a, at a, at a protest rally here that was going on um, to defund the police and so forth, and I was there to actually protect the, the uh <laughs> some of the uh, the buildings there and uh, and and he came up and basically said you know but uh, but you stole you know the 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 white people stole our land and i had to remind him that you know ever since the beginning of time when you have a war there's a side that wins and a side that loses the losing side doesn't get to stay there the losing side basically is the one that gets pushed off their lands and in fact america is unique in the fact that even when the native american people lost the war with the, uh, the wars, several wars actually, with the, uh, with the whites basically, um, they still were, were ultimately 
given land and were allowed to remain here and even have their own nations within this nation, which is unique to any other nation in the history of mankind. No other nation allowed the, the people who lost the war to remain there and still have their own sovereign nations. And so that is another interesting and, and uh, unique aspect of America. America also was one of the only, well, the first ever country that I can, that I can think of that uh, after having soundly beaten other nations like, like Germany and, and, uh, and Japan in the, uh, in the Second World War, not only did we not take those lands for ourselves, which always was the case prior to this time, we actually gave them their land back and then helped them to rebuild after we had already decimated their, because of the war, had decimated their, their, their nations. Um, so America is unique in this fashion, and, and, and unfortunately, our kids are not being told those facts. Our kids are being told that America is a bad place that we have, have, have uh, um, you know, gone to all these other countries and have destroyed them and have just, you know, tried to overtake them, and we're, we're bullies in the, in the world market, and, uh, and, and not telling them that the both sides of the story, basically, is, is that America has done more to... Uh, to help people uh, to have more liberty and more freedom and be able to actually govern themselves more. That America has the largest middle class that ever has happened um, up until the time of, that, of, of the, um, the um, initiation of America. And so, uh, so we just have, uh, we have a lot of things to be proud of in our country. And unfortunately, our, our teachers and our, our educational systems, I should say, not so much the teachers, but the, the, the teachers' unions and the educational system in America has done um, everything they can to try to downplay the exceptionalism of America, the, uh, the, the, the things that America has accomplished, the way that America has changed this world for the better. Uh, unfortunately, now, um, many times I think we see America changing some things for the worse. Uh, we are the, the greatest uh, exporter of, of pornography, for example, in the world. And so uh, there's other things that go on there. But, um, but bottom line is, is that um, this is on page, what I was just reading from was on page 370 in your annotated edition of the Book of Mormon. On page 371, it says, As a result of his conversion, Lincoln started to believe that God actually wanted this war in the land. Let us not take this for granted. It is the most bizarre thing for a president of the United States to believe, bizarre, bizarre as it is, until coupled with the promises and prophecies of Joseph Smith, Lincoln was only saying what Joseph Smith had said as a presidential candidate in 1844. And in so much as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, declared Lincoln. May we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. The prophet Joseph Smith, of course, had read such things because he translated in the Book of Mormon the story of the covenant land of America. And uh, so, so this is this is Abraham Lincoln. Actually, as we as we now know, he checked out the Book of Mormon from the Library of Congress, uh, along with several other books. Um, he brought the other books back within a couple of weeks of checking them out, except for the Book of Mormon. Uh, the Book of Mormon he had for a number of months, actually, um, and then it was after his Emancipation Proclamation uh, came out that he basically returned the book to the Library of Congress 
And Tim Ballard's actually gone there and actually looked at the actual book, the, the original book, and it had little dog ears. Um, uh, Abraham Lincoln was known when he, when he loved a particular page in a book. He didn't write in the books. He would typically take it down and, 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 and turn the corner down and what they call dog ear the corner so he could know um, where to go back to to look for the, 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 uh, the passage that he was interested in. And there were several passages that were, that were in there, and several of those passages that were dog-eared were the passages that just happened to have the, um, the, the, the American covenant information, that America was under a sacred covenant with God, and as long as we obey the Ten Commandments, we'll be blessed upon the land, and so forth, and that no man should be a slave to another. You know, those kinds of things are in the Book of Mormon. It says, uh, right in the middle of his conversion, while Willie was dying, while the Christian nurse was teaching, while he was passing through what he called his process of crystallization, Lincoln had a copy of the Book of Mormon, which he himself had requested from the Library of Congress. Having kept it for nearly eight months, Lincoln finally returned it to the library a mere seven days after issuing his first draft of the Emancipation Proclamation to his cabinet. So is it possible that we might be able to actually give thanks to the Book of Mormon for the uh, for giving uh, Abraham Lincoln the will to make the war, the Civil War, which had never been about slavery, to all of a sudden make that the front and center, the uh, the, the hallmark of this war, of the of the Civil War, and I think that that answer could be a very resounding yes. And if it was the Book of Mormon, folks, then we have a lot to be thankful for that the Book of Mormon came along so that we could have a president of the United States that would end and abolish slavery once and for all on this chosen and promised land of America. So that people of every race and creed could actually have and, and enjoy the same blessings and be given the same opportunities. And uh, that has taken, it's taken time. And there's still, uh, I'm sure there are some aspects of racism that goes on in our nation, but as a nation, um, no other nation on earth is more diverse than this nation. And uh, and look at, I mean, you know, people have succeeded in every different race. I mean, you look at the Asiatic populations, and they've succeeded in, in all kinds of different things. You look at even the, the black population, they've succeeded in all kinds of things. There are there are many, many uh, multimillionaire black people. We've had a, a black president, as an example. Um, so, so the United States is probably one of the least racist nations on the earth, but there are those who want to try to make race the biggest issue that there is. And, um, and those who are doing so basically are, I consider them to be the worst racists because they are race baiting. They are trying to make problems where, um, where, you know, problems may exist, but they're not nearly as bad as they used to be. And they're, and they've definitely been getting better. Um, but what they're doing is actually driving more wedges between the races. And uh, people are wondering, well, if, if black lives are the only ones that matter, what about Asian lives? What about Hispanic lives? What about white lives? Now, what about everybody? Doesn't everybody matter? If black lives are what matters, then doesn't that assume that, that black lives didn't matter before? Well, if they didn't matter before, why did so many white people die to emancipate the black slaves? That doesn't make any sense. So, uh, so basically, the whole racism issue is, uh, is one that needs to be uh, understood in the context of history and what really happened and who died for who. I don't know how many um, people, white people died in the Civil War um, against, fighting against slavery, but there was a lot of them. 
and there were black black people too that who who also fought in the Civil War, um, and it, and there was black people that fought on both sides. Of, in, in fact, when it came down to it, but the bottom line is is that uh, that racism is not something we should be burning down our cities about. Um, you know, and again, you know, there's those who feel like they have uh, somehow have 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 done badly to. Uh, these these people and they deserve you know reparations and so forth. Well, that's kind of what was going on in the Book of Mormon when you consider that uh, the, the the Lamanites. What was one of their big beefs that they had about against the Nephites that they were wronged? Yeah, it was centuries ago, and we didn't actually get wronged, but our fathers were wronged. <laughs> and and you can see that same exact thing in the Book of Mormon playing out today with those who say, well, you know what. Um, you know, it might have been, you know, six or seven or eight or ten generations ago, I had one of my great, 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 great grandfathers, grandmothers was a slave. And so, you know, so therefore I'm owed something. Um, that's kind of the same idea of what was going on with the Lamanites in the Book of Mormon. They felt like that because they had been wronged many, you know, centuries ago, that somehow uh, they still, that they were going to hate the Nephites even though the Nephites who lived in their time hadn't done anything to them as far as you know, the, the thing that they were having the problem with. All right, so then uh, let's go to, to Helaman. So um, in, the, uh, in the Annotated Book of Mormon, we talk about uh, we'll clothe them with costly apparel. Uh, they're talking about the costly apparel here. Samuel the Lamanite is actually uh, telling them that basically they need to hide up, uh, instead of hiding up treasures to themselves because of their pride, they need to hide up uh, treasures to God. And uh, this is in verse 17. So, Behold, the curse shall come upon the land, saith the Lord of hosts, because of the people's sake who are upon the land, yea, because of their wickedness and their abominations. And it shall come to pass, saith the Lord of hosts, yea, our great and true God, that whosoever shall hide up treasures in the earth shall find them again no more, because the great curse of the land, save, it be, his righteous, he, he, save he be a righteous man and shall hide it up unto the Lord." So unless you are unless you are trying to do things to help bless the Lord, then uh, then um, the Lord is not going to bless you. If you try to do things to just bless yourself, then things are going to not work out as well for you. All right. So the Nephites uh, reject the true prophets. Um, they talked about these uh, these uh, costly apparel, and, and you have to go to page three seventy one to take a look at that. There was a I love this story, though. This is pretty cool. This is actually from uh, Elder Heber J. Grant. This is in the 79th Annual Conference Report from April of 1909. And uh, he says, while I was in the city of London, I had the privilege of meeting with a member of the British uh, legation at Constantinople. He had traveled all over the Holy Land and was familiar with the people and their customs. And he said, quote, Mr. Grant, I was astonished beyond measure when I visited Canada to find there oriental patterns woven in beads by the American Indians. They were the same patterns that were woven in rugs in the oriental countries. I have traveled extensively, and I have never seen those oriental patterns in any part of the world except in the Holy Land until I found them among the North American Indians. Those patterns have been handed down for hundreds of years from generation to generation, and they are kept in families and can be found nowhere else. And how under the heavens those Indians who have no connection with the people of the Holy Land should have the same patterns is a mystery to me. Well, my friend, I said, this is, again, this is um, Elder Heber J. Grant, says, if I were to inform you 
that the forefathers of these American Indians came from the city of Jerusalem, that would explain it, wouldn't it? He replied, well, of course it would. I asked him if he ever read the Book of Mormon. He said, no. Well, it will be my pleasure to send you a copy, and from it you will learn that the forefathers of the American Indians came from Jerusalem. Well, he said, that explains the mystery. I am much obliged for the book. So that's kind of a, a fun uh, anecdotal story here about um, Elder uh, Heber J. Grant and how the Native Americans have patterns. And actually, we show a couple of different um, uh, of these patterns woven in rugs made from Palestine compared to um, some of the patterns that are in the Native American dress. All right, so then in chapter uh, 14, Samuel continues. He gives signs of Jesus' birth. He says, given to you a sign, and this is in uh, verse 2, Behold, uh, he said unto them, Behold, I give unto you a sign, for five years more cometh, and behold, then cometh the Son of God to redeem all those who shall believe in his name. At least it's about uh, five years from now is when this is going to happen. Uh, what were the signs that we're going to see? So there were some signs that were given, and these signs were there was going to be great lights in heaven. This is on, at his birth, at Christ's birth, right? And there'll be no darkness, in so much that shall appear unto men as if it was day. Therefore, there shall be one day and a night and a day as if it were one day and there was no night. And this shall be unto you for a sign, for you shall know of the rising of the sun and also of its setting. They'll know when the sun is rising and, rising and setting, so that's, that's not going to change. He says, and there shall be two days and a night. Nevertheless, the night shall not be darkened, and it shall be the night before he is born. Um, in verse 5, it says, And behold, there shall be a new star arise, such as one as, had, as he had never have beheld. This new star, by the way, uh, was, we believe, to be a conjunction of planets, actually. The wanderers. The stars, they don't move in the, in the, in the background of the sky, but, they, but the planets that are in our solar system do move around in our sky. And, uh, and they think it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn and possibly Venus and or Mars. I'm, I'm not sure which, which ones they were doing, but, um, but there was the conjunction of all of these coming together that formed from, with the naked eye. It would form one extremely bright star in the sky. That uh, and again, because the other stars in the sky don't move, this is this is something that's unique. It says, and this shall also be a sign unto you, and this is not all. There shall be many signs and wonders in heaven. And so he's talking about these these signs and these wonders, and that he says, and that you might know and hear. Uh, this is in verse um, eleven, and ye shall hear of my words. For for this intent have I come up upon the walls of this city. So this is again Samuel. He's up there prophesying that ye may hear and know of the judgments of God which do await you because of your iniquities, and also that ye may know the conditions of repentance, and also that ye may know the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning, that ye might know of the signs of his coming to the intent that ye may believe on his name. I think it's interesting that uh, they, they weren't, the Lord wasn't trying to hide these signs. He was giving them these signs so that they would know that he was coming and that they might believe on his name. So how would they believe on his name if it was just the signs? Because if this is a prophet of God, if Samuel is a prophet and he is prophesying and the signs come true, then number one, what he was prophesying is true and, and Samuel is prophesying that Christ was going to come, the, uh, the Redeemer was going to come. And if you believe on his name, verse 13, if you believe in his name, you will repent of all your sins, and thereby you may have a remission of them through his merits. And then Samuel gives 
So he gives the first sign, which is a sign of Christ's birth. And, that, and what was going to happen there? The new star, a day and a night, and a day without a night, basically, that because of the star was being so bright. Um, but there's going to be a second sign that he, that he said there were going to be. And this is another sign he says, I give unto you in verse 14, which is the sign of his death. For behold, he surely must die that salvation may come. Yea, it behooveth him and becometh expedient that he dieth to bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, and thereby men may be brought into the presence of the Lord. Um, in verse 20, he says, But behold, as I have said unto you concerning another sign, a sign of his death, and uh, then he tells them several things that are going to happen before be, or, or at his death. And so at his death, basically, here's some of the signs that he said. He said, the sun shall be darkened and refuse to give, uh, to give his light unto you. And also the moon and the stars, and there shall be no light upon the face of the land, even from the time that he shall suffer death for the space of three days. So he's prophesying there's going to be three days of darkness that's going to happen. He, ta- he says there's going to be thunderings and lightnings for the space of many hours, and the earth shall shake and tremble. And the rocks which are upon the face of this earth, which are both above and, and the earth and beneath, which you know at this time are solid, or the more part of one is one solid mass, shall be broken up. Yea, there shall be rent in twain, it shall never, they shall ever be found in seams and in cracks and in broken fragments upon the face of the whole earth, yea, both above the earth and beneath. Now, in, in, uh, in two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about the new Madrid seismic zone and the, and the destruction that happened at the time of Christ's death prior to that. I find that's really just fascinating. It talks about the earth and above the earth and beneath because the, the destruction that happened from the new, on the New Madrid seismic zone happened on the surface, but, was, but it was caused by what was happening in the faults down below the surface, 3,000 feet below the surface where these faults actually exist. Uh, it talks about the great tempest and there be mountains that are laid low and valleys which will become mountains whose height is great. And verse 24, and many highways shall be broken up, and many cities shall become desolate, and many graves shall be opened and yield up their dead, and many saints will appear unto many. And behold, thus saith the angel, uh, thus hath the angel spoken unto me, for he said unto me that, quote, there shall be thunderings and lightnings for the space of many hours. And then in verse 27, he says, there will be thunder and lightning lasted in the tempest, that these things should be, and that darkness should cover the face of the whole earth for the space of three days. And he said, these are the signs and these, these signs and these wonders shall come to pass upon all the face of this land. So God is not trying to hide what is going to happen here. He has his prophet telling us or telling, telling Samuel, and then Samuel is now sharing this with the Nephites, this is what's going to happen. And he gives them all this detail to look forward to or, or to, to, be, to know when, they're getting, when it's getting close. And I think that that's really a, a fascinating aspect of it because um, the, the, are we supposed to know of Christ's second coming? Are we supposed to be looking for the signs? And if that's the case, what are the signs? Would some of the signs be similar to the signs that happened to the Nephites back in their time frame? And I think the answer to that is resounding yes. Um, and we're going to get into that in about two weeks from now. Uh, we're actually going to have uh, some of the uh, information that, that uh, was brought out several years ago uh, by myself and, uh, and others on the New Madrid Seismic Zone and, and what was the uh, situation with that. Um, there were 28 observations made by the prophet Nephi 
in the Book of Mormon that we're going to get to when we get to Third uh, Nephi chapters eight and nine, specifically, twenty-eight observations that Nephi talks about that happened in at the time of Christ's death. And out of those twenty-eight, it would be amazing if we got half of those were matching. If we got three quarters of them, that would be absolutely astounding. But actually, what we're going to find out is that out of the twenty-eight observations made by the prophet Nephi, all twenty-eight were actually observed in a sequence of earthquakes that happened in 1811 and 1812 in the heartland of America. And it is just some of the most exciting, uh, one of the biggest game changers that I, that I think you'll, you'll see. Uh, chapter 15 of Helaman, he goes on, he says, Woe unto this people who are called the people of Nephi, except they shall repent, when they shall see all these signs and wonders which shall be showed unto them. For behold, they have, they have been a chosen people of the Lord, Yea, the people of Nephi hath he loved, and also he hath chastened them. Yea, in the days of their iniquities he has chastened them. Why? Because he loves them. He chastens them so that they will turn their hearts and repent, which is the point of the chastening. It's not because he, he hates them. But on the other hand, the Lamanites, he says, he has, he has hated them because of their deeds and their, and their, evil, and their continual evil. But this iniquity was caused because of the tradition of their fathers. Now, we've talked about the tradition of their fathers a couple of times in these podcasts. And I just want to point out really quickly that the, uh, that the tradition of the fathers is such an important thing. Um, when people talk about, uh, you know, for example, the race situation, you know, I know that, um, that, that there have been some races who basically said, you know what, if, if you have offspring, your offspring should never attempt to, um, to, to do better than what their fathers did. That, that would be not being respectful. In other words, you know, if your if your if your father was um, made it to only a, a certain station in life, that it wasn't it wasn't good for you to want to do something that would be better than that, or more than that, or, or make more money, or have more things, or a bigger house, or anything like that. You should have always less than that. So every generation, they're more and more, you know, um, confined to to being less and less successful. And that is a tradition of the fathers that really is a, uh, is a damning, uh, you know, tradition. And, uh, but that, but that's some of the traditions that can be there are not good. Okay. Um, then he continued on here. Says, um, that most of the Lamanites are, are basically being obedient. They're, they're doing their thing according to the laws of Moses. They're actually being obedient and doing that. Um, but he said that they, they, he talked about the Lamanites had this wicked and abominable tradition of their fathers. So they had these, uh, these issues with that. Um, but they, that these people, the Lamanites, they had buried their weapons of war and, uh, and they are actually more righteous than the Nephites are at this point in time. All right. Then chapter 16, uh, it says, now it came to pass that there were many who heard the words of Samuel, the Lamanite, when he spoke upon the walls of the city. And as many believed on his word, went forth and, and, and sought for Nephi, the prophet, because Samuel jumped off the wall and left, and he was never heard from again. Um, so some of these people went to their prophet and actually was baptized. I mean, he converted a bunch of people to their prophet when he made his, his, uh, his prophecies. And I find that's really another interesting thing. What would happen in our day if there was uh, somebody who came and basically said, if you guys don't repent, um, the Lord's going to destroy you, and, uh, and then they leave? And it caused a lot of people to go, gosh, you know what? I should probably go get baptized. I think things are going to get bad, and I want to get myself right before God before it does. 
would they still be a prophet? Would we recognize them? Or would we be one of the ones who are going, no, we already have a prophet, and we don't need no Lamanite prophet. We have our Nephite prophet, and, uh, and be the ones who are actually you know, uh, shooting arrows and casting stones and so forth at the modern-day Samuel the Lamanite, so to speak. Those who not, did not be, believe in the, the words of Samuel were angry with him. They cast stones and shot arrows as he stood upon the wall. They couldn't hit him with their stones. In verse 4 of, of chapter 16, For behold, Nephi was baptizing and prophesying and preaching. So this is their prophet. He was busy now uh, because of the people who believed in the words of Samuel. And he's crying repentance unto the people, showing signs and wonders, working miracles among the people. So clearly Nephi was a prophet of God because he was doing all these wonderful things. That they might know that the, the Christ must shortly come, telling them of things which must shortly come, and they might know and remember at the time of their coming that they had been made known unto them beforehand. In other words, it was a prophecy. They didn't know they were predicting the future because of the Lord. To the intent that they might believe, therefore as many as believed on the words of Samuel went forth unto him to be baptized, for they came repenting and confessing of their sins. But some of them didn't believe, and so what did they do? Well, they cried out to their captain, saying, Take this fellow and bind him, for behold, he hath a devil. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the irony here, um, that, that many times when the prophets are prophesying and they're speaking the truth, there will be those who basically say, They are possessed. They, you know, they, are, they are of the devil. And, uh, and so they, they were trying to, to, uh, to actually take him out, to try to kill him. And it says, and then in verse 7, He did cast himself down from the wall and did flee out of their lands. Yea, even to his own country, and began to preach and to prophesy among his own people. And behold, he was never heard of more among the Nephites, and thus were the affairs of the people. Just to, to finish this up really quickly, and then we're going to get into the actual um, the video here. But uh, this, this, is, this is an interesting thing. So you have Samuel the Lamanite basically is prophesying about the birth and death of Christ. He gives certain signs, um, but then his his information wasn't even written down originally until Christ comes. And then if you take a look here, this is actually back here in 3rd Nephi. Christ is, is now speaking to them. And this is that if you go to 3rd Nephi uh, chapter 23, this is in, on page 420 in the Annotated Book of Mormon. It says, And it came to pass that he said unto Nephi, this is Christ speaking, Bring forth the record which ye have kept. And when Nephi had brought forth the records and laid them before him, he cast his eyes upon them and said, Verily I say unto you, I commanded my servant Samuel, the Lamanite, that he should testify unto this people, that at the day that the Father should glorify his name in me, that there were many saints who should arise from the dead and should appear unto many and should minister unto them. And he said unto them, Was it not so? And his disciples answered him and said, Yea, Lord, Samuel did prophesy according to thy words, and they were all fulfilled. And Jesus said unto them, How be it that ye have not written this thing, that many saints did arise and appear unto many, and did minister unto them? And it came to pass that Nephi remembered the thing that had not been written. And it came to pass that Jesus commanded that it should be written, therefore it was written according as he commanded. And Mormon and Moroni must have gotten a copy of that that was written by the prophet Nephi about Samuel and his prophecies. And this is the reason why we have them in the book. So here we have another situation in which if Joseph Smith was making up the Book of Mormon as he was doing this 
you know, you know, creating from whole cloth the Book of Mormons, right? Then, uh, then it's interesting that he would have these things going back and forth in time. If he was writing this out, and then it gets to this point, and then they have to they actually have to go back to, um, to actually back to Helaman to before Christ comes and actually add the Helaman story into it. So you can see that this is something that's been, because of the abridging, uh, Mormon was able to actually see what was going on and actually found the record and actually put this in here that Nephi had put into the large plates. So I think that's, again, that's another really fascinating aspect of this. Um, so the last little bit here, um, let's see, Helaman chapter 16. Um, and that's basically... The, uh, the, the, it's in verse 14, and angels did appear unto men, wise men, and did declare unto them glad tidings of great joy. Thus, in this year, the scriptures began to be fulfilled. Nevertheless, the people began to harden their hearts, all save it were the most believing part of them, both of the Nephites and also the Lamanites, and began to d- depend upon their own strength and upon their own wisdom. Brothers and sisters, isn't this how it seems to go? There are those who um, follow the Lord and those who want to follow their own strength and their own wisdom. I find it interesting that all save it was the most believing part of them were led astray. Brothers and sisters, which are we going to be? Are we going to be part of the most believing? Are we going to be one of those who basically begins to doubt and to begin to not realize and, 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 and to deny the signs that have been given that Christ is coming again? They began to reason and to contend among among themselves, saying, This is not reasonable, that such a being as Christ shall come. If so, he be, and he be the Son of God, the Father of heaven and of earth, and, it, and as it has been spoken, why will he not show himself unto us, or basically live, come and live with them, as well as unto them who shall be at Jerusalem? Why will he not, why will he, uh, not show himself in this land as well as in the land of Jerusalem. In other words, aren't we as good as them? Why is he going to live over there? Why doesn't he just come and live over here with us? Behold, we know that this is a wicked tradition which has been handed down unto us by our fathers to cause us that we should believe in great and marvelous things which should come to pass, but not among us, but in a land which is far distant, a land which we know not. Therefore, they can keep us in ignorance, for we cannot witness with our own eyes that they are true. And uh, I mean, we can we can see that kind of same kind of thing uh, going on here in our day. And Satan did stir them up to do iniquity continually. Yea, he did go about spreading rumors and contentions upon the face of the land. And I think that's what we basically have. Folks, we have rumors and contentions upon the face of the land that we call America, this promised and covenant land of the Lord. And it's time that we uh, to to uh, use the Book of Mormon to come to an understanding of the importance of this of this nation this promised land of god and i hope that as we as, as you see this uh, this last part of this this is going to be um an excerpt from the uh, book of mormon current as the daily news uh this is going to go into the um some of the amazing symbolism that goes into the uh 9/11 for example and what happened 7 years after that which is what they call a shemitah cycle or shemitah year um, what happened uh, seven years after that, and what may happen seven years after that. Um, we can see these signs being being played out right before us. 
Are we going to be the ones who basically uh, realize that these signs are, that these things are getting close? Are we going to be one of the ones who want to deny these things and, and kick against the prophets and not, and not accept their warnings and their words? And so I uh, want to um, play for you um, this, this, this video here. This is some of the words of the prophets about uh, the things that are going to be coming here. It is a record of ancient America. It is a scripture of the new world, as certainly as the Bible is the scripture of the old. Each speaks of the other. Each carries with it the spirit of inspiration, the power to convince and to convert. Together they become two witnesses, hand in hand, that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrected and living Son of the living God. Its narrative is a chronicle of nations long since gone, but in its descriptions of today's society, it is as current as the daily newspaper and much more definitive, inspired and inspiring concerning the solutions of those problems. Now the scriptures tell us about the war in heaven over free agency, similar to the war we're going through now where the devil's program was guaranteed security as opposed to the Lord's program of letting each choose for himself, even if he, if he makes the wrong choice. Once you understand these scriptures, you'll understand why the presidents of the church have opposed communism, socialism, and the welfare state. And you see why you must oppose them too, if you're in harmony with the word of the Lord. The scriptures also tell about our inspired constitution. If you accept these scriptures, you'll automatically reject the counsel of others who depreciate our constitution. If you use the scriptures as a guide, you know what the Book of Mormon has to say regarding murderous conspiracies in the last day, and how we're to awake to the awful situation today. I find certain elements in the church do not like to see the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants so much. It has too much to say about freedom. I know of no other writing which sets forth with such clarity the tragic consequences to societies who follow courses contrary to the commandments of God. Its pages trace the stories of two distinct civilizations that flourished on this western hemisphere. They began small, their people walking in the fear of the Lord. But with prosperity came growing evils. The people succumbed to the wiles of ambitious and scheming leaders who oppressed them with burdensome taxes, who lulled them with hollow promises, who countenanced and even encouraged loose and lascivious living, who led them into terrible wars that resulted in the death of millions and the final and total extinction of two great civilizations in two eras. Now the question arises, what can we do to preserve our Constitution? And how can we avoid being misled into doing those things that will actually help to destroy it? During last October conference, 
I spoke on the subject, Be Not Deceived. I said there were three keys one could use to avoid deception. First, the scriptures. Second, the words of the prophets, especially the prophet, the president of the church, and particularly the living one. And third, the Holy Ghost. Now we have not been using the Book of Mormon as we should. Our homes are not as strong unless we are using it to bring our children to Christ. Our families may be corrupted by the worldly trends and teachings unless we know how to use the book to expose and combat the falsehoods in socialism. Our church classes are not as spirit-filled unless we hold it up as a standard. And our nation will continue to degenerate unless we read and heed the words of the God of this land, Jesus Christ, and quit building up and upholding the secret combinations which the Book of Mormon tells us proved the downfall of both previous American civilizations. General Moroni, one of the great men of the Book of Mormon raised the title of liberty and on it he inscribed these words. In memory of our God, our religion and freedom, and our peace, our wives and our children. Why didn't he write upon it, just live your religion? There is no need to concern yourselves about your freedom, your peace, your wives or your children. The reason he didn't was because all these things were a part of his religion as they are of ours. Listen to what the Book of Mormon had to say of the man who raised the title of liberty. And Moroni was a strong and mighty man. He was a man of perfect understanding, yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and the freedom of his country and his brethren from bondage and slavery. Yea, and he was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood." Unquote. And then Moroni has paid this high tribute. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Now, part of the reason why we do not have sufficient priesthood bearers to save the Constitution, let alone to shake the powers of hell, is, I fear, because unlike Moroni, our souls do not joy in keeping our country free, and we are not firm in the faith of Christ, nor have we sworn with an oath to defend our rights. No other written testament so clearly illustrates the fact that when men and nations walk in the fear of God and in obedience to his commandments, they prosper and grow. But when they disregard him and his word, there comes a decay that unless otherwise arrested by righteousness, leads to impotence and death. The Book of Mormon is an affirmation of the Old Testament proverb, 
Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. The Book of Mormon has declared over and over again, the blessings of heaven are contingent upon the righteousness of its people. In fact, this teaching has been attested to in almost every age. Remember in 1831 when the famous French historian said, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world of commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand her genius and power. America is great because she is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. America is great because she is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. This is the covenant and the promise that has led to the destruction of the three previous civilizations. Adam and Eve and his posterity, their posterity, the Jaredites and their posterity, the Nephites, and now it's us. Brothers and sisters, I hope that uh, that we will take this seriously, that uh, we will come to an understanding that the Book of Mormon is a literal history of real people and places and events, and it applies to us in our day today, and that we can learn more about what's going to happen. Um, that's one of the things that uh, that when I when I heard this talk by President Hinckley about the Book of Mormon is as current as the Daily News, I thought, well, how could a two thousand year old history be more current than the daily news, which we get on our phones, you know, if something happens in Indonesia in five minutes, you know, from, you know, five minutes ago. Um, how can it be more current than, 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 than that? See, the news, brothers and sisters, can only tell us what has happened. The Book of Mormon can tell us what's going to happen. So as we study the Book of Mormon, especially as we get to this area of the Book of Mormon with Helaman and uh, the beginning of Third Nephi, where this is just ramping up to the time when Christ comes, if this is in fact that time, and we have our prophets who have testified that the signs will be here, there are signs abounding. And if you've been studying and, and, and staying with us in our conferences and, and things, uh, you will know there are lots and lots of signs that have been happening from blood moons to solar eclipses to um, the 9-11 and the things that are going on there to this national covenant. And when you put all those things together, it gives us a time frame or a timeline, if you will, of the last days, which tells us that things are getting close. Uh, we don't know exactly how close. Uh, in the, in the, uh, the scriptures, it says that no man knows the day or the hour, but it doesn't say anything about the month or year. <laughs> okay. Um, it does say that, that it would be like a woman in travail, that uh, she doesn't know the day or the hour of the birth, but she does know that the birth is near. 
even at the doors. And uh, and and as we as we uh, pay attention to what is happening in the world around us, as we see America sliding into Marxism, Marxism and socialism and and uh, ultimately communism, uh, that these things are not things that are good. Um, I want to just point out one other thing, and that is that uh, the the easiest way to make slaves is to give them free stuff. Almost every time before people are enslaved, they are offered free something. Uh, many times, slaves in the, the, the black slaves that were coming from Africa were were said that they they will get a a, a free uh, trip to the New World, and that was one of the things that enticed them to get on the boats. Um, other other people like the Israelites were were promised by Egypt that they would be that they'd have uh, free land and free food, and ultimately that freedom turned into slavery. So watch very carefully for those who offer you free stuff, because free stuff is usually what happens to you prior to them basically saying, "Well, you know, th- this is how it works with with heroin addicts as well. Um, they will they will give people." free drugs for a while until they get them hooked on those drugs. And then they basically say, well, you have to start paying and it's exorbitant prices. And we basically make up whatever price we want. This is how it works also with governments. So when you have a government that wants to offer you free stuff, watch yourself because that could be a trap. And almost always it is. There is no such thing as a free lunch folks. Um, people need to realize that we are to, we were put here on this earth to, uh, to work and by the sweat of our brow, brow, shall we eat bread? So without work, you cannot, um, have an honest, um, living. You, you cannot live off of somebody else's work, which is also the, one of the main reasons why slavery is so evil and so wicked because you are trying to basically live off of the labor of somebody else. And that is not uh, any, anything that God has anything to do with. So if, uh, if, if the idea of free stuff is something that you are interested in, please repent, change your mind, uh, work for those things that you need, and, and for those things that are given to people for free, realize that that is actually going to be taking their liberties. At some point, they will lose their liberties because of this free stuff, whether it's free education or free health care or free anything. Um, there's always going to be a catch and that catch is eventually, um, somebody's going to have to pay. And if, and, 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 and people don't want to do that, but usually that puts enough of the evil people in power so they can force people to pay. And that's how that typically works. Okay. Last, last thing here. We've got one other, one last video here. This is a trailer to the DVD. Some really amazing, um, information about this, uh, this national covenant and how this covenant is being taken down. And this is part of the, again, it's called the Book of Mormon Current is the Daily News. Uh, You can get copies of this off of our website on the the bookstore. This is the, the trailer for this. Can you think of any examples as we go through Mormon's words here in the Book of Mormon describing what he saw in vision as our day? Behold, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet you were not. But behold, Jesus Christ has shown you unto me, and I know you're doing. And I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts. 
I know of no other writing which sets forth with such clarity the tragic consequences to societies who follow courses contrary to the commandments of God. Its narrative is a chronicle of nations long since gone, but in its descriptions of today's society, it is as current as the daily newspaper and much more definitive, inspired and inspiring concerning the solutions of those problems. Now, how many of you would like to hear about a little bit of information that connects some of this information to 9-11? Our most populous city, our icon of America, we're going to build the tallest building on the New York skyline. We want to build the new icon of America. No, no, that's not good enough. We're going to build two of them. We're going to make them look exactly alike. We're going to call them the Twin Towers. There is a growing concern about what's going on in our nation and for the right reason. The revocation of the of Iron Dome, the shield of protection over this nation. Because we now know what happened then on 9-11. When not just one, but both towers were brought to the ground. And the icon of America came down with it. Bricks have fallen down, but we were going to rebuild the hewn stones. And an attack directly on our soil, but not just on any soil, on the actual place of the invocation of the covenant. That's what it looked like after 9-11. The bricks had literally been thrown down. They decided, you know what, we have got to do something with this. We're going to show the world we are not going to be knocked down. This is not going to take us out. But not only are we going to rise again, we're going to come back. We're going to come back bigger and stronger and better than we were before. We get to live through the most exciting times. People in the, all the history of the world have awaited for this day when these things are going to be coming to pass and we get to be a part of it. America is great because she is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. The second only to testifying of Jesus Christ, the second most important thing that the Book of Mormon does, that it attempts to do, is to warn a very specific nation Brother, know exactly what's going on. I think we have some time left. Let us get our houses in order. Let us get our hearts right. Let us go to the temple and do all the things that we need to be doing, both the outward, the inward stuff. blessed to be able to do this uh, this year. And uh, we have some, some fantastic speakers still coming up, um, some, some interviews that we, that we have uh, coming up that are just going to be phenomenal. So thank you so much again. We'll see you next week. We're excited for all of you to join us at the 26th International Book of Mormon Evidence virtual conference held September 25th and 6th on any streaming device. Special guest speakers are Glenn Beck, 
David Barton and Tim Ballard, as well as all the additional speakers you are used to, adding more than 60 new videos to our virtual streaming library. You'll have access for three whole months, as well as receiving two bonuses that will offset your complete subscription cost. The first is The Destruction of Christ's Death, which is a two-hour streaming video by Rod Meldrum, which is a $20 value, as well as his new 40-page ebook called Prophecies and Promises, What Did Joseph Know? That's a $15 value. We're excited for you to join us.